Welcome to Leading in a Climate-Changed World by Olivia Mythodrama. In our ninth episode, it's a huge privilege to introduce Joanna Macy. Joanna is an environmental activist, author and scholar of Buddhism, general systems theory and deep ecology. As Joanna turns 90 years old with absolutely no intention of slowing down, Robin talks to her about her experiences with climate change over the decades and what has kept her motivation as strong as ever. Joanna takes us on an inspirational journey discussing leadership and how it's been represented in the context of environmental issues and how she feels leaders must act to prevent climate disaster. She talks about governmental and ecological systems and the reality faced by all of us what we have to shed before moving on into a brave new world, while discussing what has moved her to action over the years and what has been part of her own evolution. We hope you enjoy this fascinating insight into one of the most respected voices in the movements for peace, justice and ecology. Please don't forget to rate our podcast and share with anyone and everyone. In case you weren't aware, all podcasts so far are accompanied via video hosted on the Olivier Mythodrama YouTube channel. Simply search YouTube for Leading in a Climate Changed World or visit the leadinginaclimatechangedworld.com website. If you'd like to suggest any interviews or would like to partner up for any projects or simply get in touch for a bit more information, please email hello at leadinginaclimatechangedworld.com. Let's hand over to Robin and Joanna. So welcome everybody to this podcast in our series, Leading in a Climate Changed World. It's a huge pleasure and privilege today to be talking with Joanna Macy. Joanna is what might be termed a sacred activist. Her work addresses psychological and spiritual issues, Buddhist thought, systemic change, and contemporary science. And over many decades, she has created a theoretical framework for personal change, for social change, and a workshop methodology for its application. Joanna graduated from Wellesley College in 1950 and received her PhD in religious studies in 1978 from Syracuse University. She's an international spokesperson for anti-nuclear issues, peace, justice, environmentalism, and is perhaps most renowned for her book, Coming Back to Life, the latest version of which is subtitled The Updated Guide to the Work that Reconnects. Other books she's well known for are Our World and The Great Turning Initiative, which deals with the transformation from an industrial growth society to what she considers to be a more sustainable civilization. In addition, Joanna has three books being published next year in 2020, A Wild Love for the World, Joanna Macy and the Work of Our Time, another book called Active Hope, How to Face the Mess We're In Without Going Crazy, which is co-written with Chris Johnston, Updated edition is coming out late next year. And Rilke's Letters to a Young Poet, co-written with Anita Barrows, is also going to be released late next year. So you seem to be becoming more and more prolific as you journey through the decades, Joanna. (laughs) Yes. Well, um, I can't run around as much as I used to, so why not? Right. (laughs) So thank you so much for giving us your time. I know you don't do so many of these kind of interviews these days, but thank you so much for your time today. And maybe we could start by just looking at how we work with the very complex set of feelings that we have inside us when we contemplate the climate emergency. Part is hopeful, maybe part is angry, part is afraid, part is in denial, part is furious. There's a lot of kind of emotional intensity as the climate emergency heats up. How do you 
suggest and how do you also work with it for yourself? How do you suggest we manage these feelings? Uh, we use them. We welcome them. Uh, the work that I have done over the last four decades, the work that we connect just starts with the challenge of uh, being uh, with <clears throat> and learning how to recognize and use our feelings. Um, the hyper-individualism of the last five centuries has bred in us a kind of, oh, here's a new word I learned just this week, alexithemia, uh, difficulty in identifying uh, and uh, <clears throat> meeting our feelings. And um, so to recognize for, for and uh, the big challenge for us now, uh, I believe, is fear. And so one of the things we want to quickly learn is how not to be afraid of fear. And we can do that in a group or do that by ourselves, but just identify that because fear takes us away from uh, ourselves, our true nature, and each other, where our uh, promise is. Our promise is in our recognition of our belonging. I picture the relationship to fear as sometimes as two ditches, one on either side of the road we are walking toward the future. We want to hang on to each other so as not to fall into a ditch. On one ditch is uh, what fear when we're, uh, it's just closing down, apathy, denial, pretend I'm not here, don't talk to me about it. We all know that risk because it's like we have to recognize that's in ourselves too. Yeah. Go away. Don't tell me about it. And just stick your fingers in your ears. On the other side of the road is the ditch is the other face of that denial of feelings and fear, which is uh, panic or social hysteria. And, uh, that is uh, no longer just a theoretical construct. We see it booming and bursting all over the world. Uh, and certainly in my own country, I'm uh, American and live in the United States. And uh, to see how fear, but it began back, oh, it's been used by the leaders. It certainly began at the uh, with um, <clears throat> 2001 to um, with choosing a um, another enemy in order to make people obedient and uh, to make the uh, Islam an enemy and invade Iraq. So we a fear is something that we need to be on very good conversational uh, wiseacre kind of conversation and not be afraid of our own fear and helping people normalize their fear. Of course you're scared. Good grief, why would you not be? 
we have enough nuclear weapons to blow up us uh, a thousand times in, uh, and they're in the hands of people whom we don't trust. Uh, of course you're scared. The forests are disappearing. Our older kin, the species, we're just the youngest. They're all leaving us alone on this planet. We've destroyed as they die off in the gazillions. Of course we are. So you go below the fear to recognize that uh, we're scared because we actually uh, love this life and don't want it taken from us. And we turn, so we turn to accept ourselves as uh, belonging to this earth and deserving to be here. Yeah. Right. So you said that we can use our feelings, we're going to work with our feelings. And it sounds like you're saying the first part of that is to acknowledge that we have them and that it's natural to have them. And then yeah. I wonder how there's also, you know, increasing amount maybe of anger and people saying we really have to stop people in the streets. I also want to wonder how, how do we work with our anger and the, and the rage that we sometimes feel about this topic? <laughs> well, we certainly don't want to be afraid of it. And that it's, uh, it's, it, uh, it's an expression of fear. Hmm. And, uh, it's a, um, allows us, if we're uh, unafraid of the anger, to just take its hand, move around, and step into the, uh, what we imagine, the mindset of the person who's holding that. And that, that we can use... Um, the anger actually uh, as a uh, gateway, odd as it may sound, to compassion. Uh, I recall, because uh, I, I draw a great deal of inspiration and steadiness, such as that that I have from the Buddhist tradition, and in uh, the community of Tibet in exile, uh, one of the key uh, archetypal figures there is one of extreme anger. This is a wrathful form of the of Manjushri, the celestial bodhisattva of wisdom. But this wrathful form, oh my, he's based on flames, his eyes are rolling, he has three heads, he has uh, fangs and roars and um, and I remember so well standing there as I was learning its practice with the, one of the head monks in that monastery. And as he pointed out, oh, the necklace of skulls and around the, the poisonous snakes around, everything that would, you could possibly imagine as fuming anger. And he said, oh, such great anger straight from the heart of pure compassion. What? And then you realize when you're not scared of the anger, including your own, that it has to do with justice. In the truth mandala that we do in the work that reconnects, we always look at the positive side of what we are inviting people to express. 
And when you go into that truth model and take the stick of anger, we are reminded that the root source of that is passion for justice. Somebody's cheating you of what is deservedly yours or that what is yours to express. What is yours, it could be what is yours to eat because you're hungry. What is yours to know because you've been deprived of truth. Beautiful. And I wonder, it takes me to another question actually about how do we balance what sometimes seems like the paradox of accepting that things are as they are, like when you talk about your Buddhist lineage and your Buddhist practice, a lot of that is about meeting the world as it is. And at the same time, things have to change. So how do we work with the, the paradox of acceptance and change in the same breath? Well, um, you have just touched on my sorest, tenderest point with my adopted faith tradition. <laughs> I just, I just, <laughs> to be tranquil and sit there on your zafu, aiming for <laughs> a serenity uh, when the world is burning has always been. Uh, and I join, uh, take great inspiration with another teacher of mine, Thich Nhat Hanh, who was constantly, he, he gave voice to this uh, very much because these are actually uh, but so it's, I haven't yet met a teacher who's able to satisfactorily explain that truth inside each of us that we are asked to accept and uh, we are uh, and we don't uh, and we don't want to abandon our indignation and passion for justice. I certainly don't. But that allows me to bring up what I've learned about that with the deep adaptation work of Jim Bendel. I'm sure you're familiar with that. Yes, he's also going to be interviewed in this series. Good. Oh, well, I, I found that he, uh, in his work, which has had great meaning for me, and I'd like to come back to it to show how some ways that I've been using uh, his four R's. Um, but he invites us to accept. Um, that we uh, are in all likelihood. Uh, not going to be able to say the industrial growth society or globalized corporate capitalism that is destroying our world and that it's on on such a track that it's now uh, another way of phrasing that came to me where i had a very um pivotal experience uh after the uh, IPCC report came out last fall, you remember, mm -hmm. Robin, uh, when it, I think it was early November, late October, and it tell, told us that we have 11 or 12 at that point uh, years left to cut our carbon emissions in half or our greenhouse gas emissions in half. And... Um, 
And I was at that point, uh, I, I took that in, I went on retreat and at Spirit Rock Meditation Center and was engaged in a walking meditation. And I was trying to concentrate, mm, just be in the moment, mm, just in with this step or that step. But there was a little uh, irritation in my mind as I remembered something from my past, something very trivial, but uh, embarrassing. Usually those moments, something you wished hadn't happened. I couldn't get away from it. I tried noting it, moving it. And then I thought, oh, I ought to be able to handle that. And then came this colossally thunderous voice coming right down my left side and it said, just fall in love with what is. And at that moment, I saw two curtains closing and I just saw them right there. One was the IPCC report and the other was Bolsonaro's election in Brazil. Hmm. And his promise to cash in on the Amazonian rainforest. And he's doing it. Mm -hmm. And those two together, I knew with those, it's, it's finished. We can't possibly meet the, uh, the, the needs when we lose. We can't lower our emissions if we lose the rainforest, the Amazon. So that came, that just fall in love with what is, is another um, call to accept, accept. And that was about the time that I was paying attention, particularly paying attention to Jem uh, Bendel's deep adaptation. And in that ad ad adaptation, I find that acceptance rather, in that acceptance, I found a kind of um, centering. I was about to say, rest for my mind, to stop fighting with what I didn't want to accept. But I have accepted that with these curtains closing of Bolsonaro in Brazil and the IPC, we're not going to make it. And then that asks me, then what's happened for me personally is that it has charged me, made me more present riveted me on what is happening to our world. Oh, what a precious time this is. Oh, what we, let us see what we can do. But we're not going to save globalized corporate capitalism. We're not going to be able to save or to use the language of Russia or China, you know, state corporations. We're not going to. We're going to have to, and we probably, and you know, or uh, you may know that for uh, decades, I have been organizing around and holding out the organizing principle of the great turning, mm -hmm. that we could organize our lives to, and our hopes to journey toward, um, motivate ourselves to create a life-sustaining society, which is not capital, corporate capitalist. But we could do that. Now I see 
that is evident that we, we can't stop that the uh, collapse of our political economy uh, is let's get it over as soon as we can so that with what's left we can and there's so much energy at the local level so much imagination so much courage that i see that i uh, i'm certainly not ready to say uh, throw in the chips i'm feeling more inspired and more kind of riveted attention uh, than than ever to see now we have a chance but we can't do it we couldn't do it with the uh, corporations in control mm -hmm. because the cor corporations have kind of gone on automatic for some time now for some decades that they are automatically privileging profit and if you don't agree with that you're out and they're also on, on, on uh, in addition to that they have taken over governmental the governments and so since that's the case we're not going to be able to do it the way we thought and uh, let's get it over with let's move on i'm talking maybe i will regret talking as frankly as this no i find it very powerful actually and also quite confronting in a way i've also read jim bendel's work and as i say we're going to be talking with him also in this series and it brings me, uh, just, and just to understand maybe in, in, in a sentence or two, what I think I hear you say then is that the systems that we know will, are in a state of collapse, but that doesn't necessarily mean the human species is destined for extinction. No. Right. So no, what that, and even Jem says that is um, possible. And so I certainly can say that. And there will be. <clears throat> Uh, this is scary. So where there's a lot of reasons for crying, a lot of shedding of tears. Mm -hmm. The shedding of tears is essential. We have to root ourselves in our deep love for life. So that it's uh, my friend Matthew Fox, whom I brought to, to Findhorn uh, back in 91 in the Easter Mysteries. Uh, he has said that Eros is more important than ever, the erotic. We need to reconnect with our base chakra. We've cut ourselves off. We have used ourselves in service to engines of destruction and toxins. So that we wouldn't do if we were connected to our own sensuality and sexuality. Mm -hmm. So that I think that I go back, I bless you for the instinct in you to start uh, this with uh, feelings. Mm -hmm. Let us welcome our feelings and let us invite the feelings that have been um, canceled out by uh, the, the feelings that come up with uh, the recognition because what's interesting now, what's really interesting is that just at the time when we're about to do ourselves in, 
there is through science this uh, recognition that the earth is alive it's a living system and you know that i've been a scholar of systems theory and have published on it and that i follow that gaia theory with great interest and am very and how it fits with deep ecology and how with that we can allow ourselves and it, it, it bend our every part of our uh, from our crotch to our crown as bill thompson used to say to rally ourselves use our sensuality use everything because we belong we belong to this earth the earth is alive the earth is our larger body and the earth has great wisdom and we can open ourselves to a gaia consciousness and that's happening right so that brings me to a question around the type of leadership that we need at the moment as you know this podcast is really in a leadership series so it sounds like one of the things you would say is we need leaders who are in touch with their feelings and are not afraid of feelings i'm wondering where what other characteristics you think leaders need at this time and also where you're experiencing and witnessing the kind of leadership that inspires you at the moment <laughs> I'm, I'm not in government we finally have some really good progressive uh, uh, young people in Congress, but we don't know how to um, support them. Well, let me do go quickly. What kind of leadership? It's a leadership that knows how to use the precious time we have right now, because this time, particularly uh, in my country. Our capacity to meet, move around, and speak freely may be cut short because the uh, fear of, um, yeah, or because it's a government dominated by fear of their own citizenry, and we know what happens there. So use this period of time because when this political economy is about to go under uh it will there's a backlash or like a venomous like a scorpion so we have to be treasure our freedom to talk now our treasure to meet and then in another meet in groups don't try to handle this by yourself and the work that I've developed, or we have developed, excuse me, has been with hundreds and thousands of people. Uh, the deep ecology work we call it, and the deep work that reconnects, same, same, uh, is as wonderfully a fertile variety of ways that we can just very simply uh, get together and touch each other's um, deepest connection with life and, 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 and enliven it. We need each other for our brains to work. We need each other for our hearts to experience courage. 
we need each other to trust. So this is what we need for this passage. The passage will be hard. There'll be a lot of dying. It will test us, but we do it for life. I will only see a little bit of it, but I'm so glad to have seen what I do. And I see it here in the Bay Area, and I see it locally. I see it in Colombia. I see it in Chile. I see it in Sub-Saharan Africa, where they take these simple practices, where people experience being totally honest with each other, and it doesn't take long. We have to fall in love with each other again and hold each other because we're going to go through a hard time. Mm -hmm. Right. We're made we're for that. We're made for that, Robin. Mm -hmm. We have it. We have, we're strong enough for that. That's what I think the leader needs to say, the climate leader needs to assure people. You are strong enough for this time. Just don't try to do it. Just look at what, you know, Extinction Rebellion, I was just reading, looking at wonderful shots of what it was doing in London last week with such imagination. But that's what is the collectivity, the belonging that they have found. They have found belonging in each other and with the future. And that draws out such creativity. Hmm. I'm wondering where else you see it. You said you don't see it in our political leaders at the moment. You see it in some of the people in Congress in the States. You named a few countries. I wonder if you could give us like one or two examples of where you feel like that's the kind of leadership that we need right now, just to kind of illustrate maybe one or two. I want to know if anything else comes to mind. You've talked about Extinction Rebellion also. Yes. Well, I said that reached to that because that's publicly known mm -hmm. but what i can point to are people who aren't famous and known mm -hmm. but people who have been uh just just uh, uh now that i heard of a group you know groups that have been reaching out and weaving together uh, uh called the terran conspiracy uh, the, but they are how do we they're taking the principles of the work that we connect so, and of uh, Gaian theory and of deep ecology and of ecology per se to work together. How can we regenerate our world? Or there is in my uh, an actual uh, community. Well, I see it in co-housings and eco-villages, as I'm sure you do around the world, Robin. Uh, but uh, here, there's Canticle Farm based on the teachings of St. Francis as well as the work that reconnects. And uh, mm -hmm. their uh, vision, I led the other day a workshop over there for the Canticle Farmers, and I tried out the four R's of Jem Bendel, and so that maybe 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 because you've referenced it a couple of times and we haven't yet not everybody would have read that paper can you just name the four hours for our listeners oh yeah so we, we we gathered we were 20 of us and we said here are uh some uh, but i had already proceeded uh in the morning 
talking about collapse. Well, these young people weren't ready to talk about collapse. They didn't think there was going to be a collapse. But also, but okay, but here are some four questions, uh, four R's. Uh, what are the values and behaviors that we have that we want to really use now and hang on to that, we, that are relevant for this time? That's number one, that's resilience. The second R, relinquishment, is what values and behaviors uh, are we ready to relinquish, let go of? that's not useful now. Third, what are the values and behaviors that we uh, would like to take from our past or from other cultures that we think would really, uh, that we hanker for, that would feel good and help us? And fourthly, uh, what would we now as we, in this time when so much is uncertain, what do we want to make peace with? We're the people, so we're the family. What is the uh, forces that we want to make peace with? So we listed these. And the third, the third and the fourth are, just to be precise. Yes. Oh, excuse me. And the third then is restoration. Right. What you want to bring in that you don't have from your past or from another culture. And the, and the fourth is um, reconciliation. Right. Thank you. With what and with whom do you want to make peace? Mm -hmm. So then we listed these. We counted off around the group by four. People found themselves falling into one uh, group of their number of that and that particular question. And they had, you know, 15 minutes, two or more to um, brainstorm what they wanted to make peace with, what they wanted to let go of, what they wanted to take. And it was one of the most enjoyable experiences of my life. I fell into the number three, and the, but they were all young people, and they had so much things that so full of ideas. Hmm. And it made me feel, honey, you are one lucky lady. These four questions are, you know, I think that, oh, I'm going to accept the fact that we are going to face the collapse of blah, blah, blah. And instead, these questions, when tossed out like that and dealt with together, instilled such a sense of appetite appetite and or even you could even call it optimism right well oh boy hmm. this is what we, we deserve this is what our heart minds want that was going to be my last question i think we probably need to start moving to a close now but i wanted to to, to ask you about optimism and hope because i know you have this book coming out and i know you've worked with chris johnson on active hope and I wonder if you could just maybe close this with a with a sense about what what is what is active hope and where do you stand on the kind of optimism? Is optimism a helpful energy? Is it about denial if we're in an optimistic state? Like how do, again, how do we work with these feelings, but particularly about the nature of hope? It depends on on uh, it depends on how how you define hope. Uh, 
if you uh, for Chris and me uh, and for the folks over at Canticle Farm when we were doing the four hours it's on what we want it's on what we love to see it's what looks good it's what feels good what we want to move toward now it it said that says nothing about the chances that we might compute as to is that going to come into being mm. you don't you don't think about the chances you just think about what you want what feels good what feels destined and and then you move toward it so i like that definition because it allows me to have active hope when i'm feeling hopeless in terms of things you know, thinks the chances of it are, would be dim. So you stick with your, and I think that's the nature of the erotic and the uh, um, appetite for life. You, you go for what feels right. Mm -hmm. You go for what feels good. And you don't stop and take your pulse. Ooh, am I, take, am I optimistic now? It's kind of a disease over here. It has been in America. America has a little thing about optimism that is, is counterproductive. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I think maybe that's a good place to close. Unless there's anything else you want to say. This is, this is going to go out to a lot of corporate leaders. And I don't know if there's a particular message you might have for corporations at this time. Or anything else you want to say before we close our time together. It's been very touching and moving for me to, to well, you, may, you may want to obliterate yeah, some of what I've said. Not in, the, not in the slightest. No, I think that uh, I, I remember one of the most productive, insightful times of my life was working with systems thinker Elise and Kenneth Boulding on imaging the future. Uh, they were Quakers and systems thinkers. And that uh, in imaging a future of uh, without weapons, that was called, we realized that corporations had an enormous role to play uh, in a peaceful world, in a world without weapons, because the corporations uh, con controlled so much transportation and um, communication and that if we just switched the ownership so we were imagining you know everybody uh, with each birth each newborn would receive a little bit of the portfolio in a corporation. But these could be the people who are uh, incarcerated in corporations, who are serving a corporation while, while in its bureaucracy, while it puts profit first and political control. Uh, if, if there is uh, the people on 
uh, the inside have to be there in order to liberate it, to liberate that intelligence, to liberate that technology and that bureaucracy could so, so serve our planet. Mm. Thank you so much. It's been a very rich time to spend with you. I know you turned 90 recently, so happy birthday for that. And we wish you every success and all strength and power as you, as you go forward into this next decade also. It's great to see you in such good form. And we look forward to three books coming out next year also of yours, which is fantastic. And just, again, huge appreciation for the depth of your wisdom, your experience, but also your passion and your zest for what is possible. It's been very remarkable to spend this time with you. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm.